0: So if you're in the business of thinking for a living and making big decisions, you're going to enjoy listening to Phil Rosenzweig this evening. He is the author of Left Brain, Right Stuff. He's uh, from uh, Lancaster this evening in the, the United Kingdom. Phil, nice to have you on The Money Show this evening. Once and for all, please just settle Left Brain, Right Brain stuff for me so I can get an understanding of the book title before we get into the meat of it.
1: Hi, Bruce. Uh, First of all, it's not left brain, right brain. What I'm contrasting here is what I call left brain versus something rather different, which is right stuff. By left brain, I mean the way we think in a rational, analytical, detached, logical way. And that's very important for some kinds of decisions. But by right stuff, I'm referring to the need to sometimes push boundaries, take chances, and drive change. And what I'm saying is that many kinds of decisions really call on these seemingly contradictory but really complementary approaches.
0: And because we, we all have to make big decisions at some point um, and decision making is complicated. We all carry the baggage of previous decisions that have either been positive or negative for us um, and, and there comes great decision makers somehow manage to put that aside in their decision making process. Take me through how, how the great, uh, great decision makers do it. Oh
1: they may put it aside or they may actually use it to their benefit. Uh, I I think the most important thing to point out is there's been a lot of research recently about decision-making, some of it very, very good, very influential, but much of it has looked at decisions that involve making choices of options that are simply presented to you or judgments about things that you cannot actually influence. I'm talking here about work by cognitive psychologists or behavioral economists, and that work has been very, very good for things like consumer choice or making certain kinds of predictions of things that you can't affect. But when we talk about leadership decisions, you're not just making a choice among options you can't affect. You actually have to bring about change. You have to motivate people. You have to inspire them. And you oftentimes have to commit to a level of performance that may go beyond anything you were able to do in the past. Now, I'm arguing that's not wrong. That's not uh, a bias or overconfidence. That's actually a necessary element in how leaders make great decisions. They need to be able to mobilize people to achieve more than they've done before. And that's what I refer to as as the right stuff.
0: And when F.W. de Klerk, for example, decided to release Nelson Mandela, he had a couple of options. He could continue fighting a civil war on his own turf, which he knew he would lose. Or he could do what ultimately was the right thing, and that is release Nelson Mandela. But he had to have the right stuff in order to convince some more of his more further right-wing colleagues um, that this was the right way to go. And and maybe that's a, a classic South African example of this.
1: I think that's a great example because in fact he might have, he might have approached it as well, do I do A or do I do B? But in fact, it's not like do I pick this brand of cereal or that brand of cereal off my, off the shelf of my supermarket. In fact, whatever choice he made, he actually had the ability over time to manage or guide the outcome. And that had to do with how he communicated to his followers, to opponents, how he worked with Mr. Mandela. And and that's what we find in leadership decisions. They are not discrete choices that you make and with no ability to subsequently influence things. In fact, they are things that we can often shape over time. So one very important thing I bring out in my book is the need to distinguish between decisions where we're simply making choices or judgments that we cannot subsequently influence and those in which we not only can, but to be successful, we absolutely must. Uh,
0: and, and it's also that, that the concept of once i made a decision, the decision is made. Um, great decision makers probably evolve their decisions over time rather than have a, uh, anything set in stone over a period of time. <laughs>
1: And unfortunately, what we find is that if you're a social scientist, maybe a psychologist or an economist, and you're trying to isolate the mechanisms of decision-making, you often do it in laboratory settings, where you see how people make discrete decisions based on something that is framed explicitly, and they cannot subsequently change. The result is we know an awful lot about those kinds of decisions, but we know much less about the kinds of decisions where, as you point out, the, the choice you make is really just a starting point for a continual and evolving set of decisions and that's really what makes leaders uh, I think very successful
0: and Give me some examples of great but maybe unlikely decisions that you've come across.
1: <laughs> well you, you can think for example about the decision of starting a company. Uh, if you look at the statistics, the statistics will Tell you that most new businesses fail, but in fact, the decision that you make is not do I start a business or not, it's once I start it, how do I manage it, which might involve keeping my costs down, it might involve not hiring people until I've reached a certain level, it might mean looking for certain channels of distribution rather than others, and so forth. And so, if, if, we, if we don't understand how leaders actually evolve those decisions over time, doing things that perhaps are unprecedented or have never been done before, we entirely miss that dynamic. So I have many examples in my book from business, but also uh, from sports, from politics, from the military. Anytime you decide to run for office, you're probably running against the odds. But if everybody looked at those odds and said, well, gee, the odds are against me, I won't have a chance, they would never become successful. So the way we think about decisions evolving over time and our ability to influence outcomes is what really is involved with the right stuff. On the other hand, as the first part of the book suggests, it is important that we, we understand our biases, that we understand the way people are prone to make errors, and therefore to have that detached view and to free ourselves from some of these errors is what I refer to as the left brain, and that's important too. And so it's a seemingly con- contradictory mix, but it actually is very essential.
0: Can we learn the right stuff? Is it possible to, to be taught it, to, to learn it, or is it something that's inherent within us? You either have it or you don't.
1: Well, you might as well ask that question about leadership. And, of course, we always ask the question, you know, is is, is leadership something that can be taught? Uh, I think the answer is, uh, without trying to cop out here, it's a little bit in between. There are some people who are born with it. But for most of us who may not be born with it, or even if we are to some extent, there are ways to improve the way we make decisions. And so what I'm trying to describe is that if we understand certain things about biases or propensities for error, but if we also understand how we can actually exert influence of mm. others, and furthermore, if we understand the competitive dimension, which is very important, we can find ways to improve the decisions that we make.
0: Phil Rosenzweig, thank you so much for joining us this evening. The author of Left Brain, Right Stuff, on the line to us from the United Kingdom this evening. He's just north of the beautiful city of Lancaster.